0: You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Matthew chapter 27, and then you can go ahead and, if your Bible has a fan, one of them fancy little doohickeys here, you can flip it over to Psalm 22 as well. We're in a series right now uh, called At the Foot of the Cross, and uh, where we're imagining that we're there on... Uh, on that fateful day, l- listening to the final words of Jesus upon the cross. There's seven statements that Jesus makes, everything from "Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, to looking at the Apostle John and saying uh, and, and his mother Mary and saying, uh, "Woman, behold your son and son behold your mother." Uh, and we're just looking at those and kind of sitting there and pondering and dwelling upon what those things have to say. Um, and today, we are taking a look at uh, Matthew chapter 27. Uh, it's uh, also recorded in, uh, in Mark's Gospel. But in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse uh, 45, it says this. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and he put it on a reed, and he came and gave it to him as a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. This is the word of the Lord. I grew up in the age of hooked on phonics. Older educators will know what that fabulous thing was. That was the means and methodology of teaching young individuals how to read based upon sound. Which was great. It means I am highly literate, I can read very well, my comprehension is fantastic. What it does not mean is that I can spell anything. When you say the word there, I panic, right? What What in the world? They all sound the same, right? Hooked on phonics worked for me. That was the, that was the joke of my junior high and high school years. Uh, and when the artificial intelligence, uh, early artificial intelligence came out called Spell Check, I thought I had died and gone to heaven because that was it, man. That was, that was the answer to all of my problems. Until you realize that you're such a bad speller. That spell check goes, I have no idea. I have no idea what you're saying, right? And it becomes so bad that you have to change words, right? You're trying you know, to type, especially when you write theological things, you're using these big old gigantic words, and it's like, I, I can't, Chris, I can't fix it for you. And you're like, uh, okay, uh, very. You know, like you just you gotta change the word because it's so bad, because of the misunderstanding. And then that compounded for me when it came to the, the new technology of talk-to-text uh, in texting apps. Uh, and I'm pretty convinced that there have got to be lots and lots of marital conflict that has come about because of talk-to-text, right? Because it misunderstands what I'm saying. Like, you, you're you just talking or whatever and it just it puts out its thing and then you don't even, you just hit send and then you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, what in the you know, you're just panicking about what you just said. No, 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 what I really meant was, you know, and you're having to go back to type these things out. It's all based upon misunderstanding, right? Just this ability for us to be able to communicate. We all know the reality of the, the fact that communication is like 20% uh, verbal and like 80% is nonverbal and it's very easy to not be able to communicate with each other to miscommunicate those kind of things. You guys ever sent an email that you just thought was just normal, I'm just reporting something and then somebody get a phone call, why did you send that? Why? And it's like very hot here like I, I didn't mean it, right? The the issues of miscommunication are all around us in our language. And the text that we just read this morning is a, a biblical text about miscommunication. Uh, the the misunderstanding of what Jesus said, and from that, the miscommunication about God himself. Jesus has been on the cross uh, for a long period of time. The way that the Bible tells time is very different from us. They didn't have like the twelve noon, one o'clock, those kind of things. They were uh, in that part of the world, there's not a significant amount of daylight change. You guys realizing that we're like halfway between uh, winter solstice and summer solstice? We've got 12 hours of daylight right now. That's pretty amazing, right? That's not how that works in that part of the world. It pretty much stays just about the same all year long. And so they base their time off of that. Uh, so at you know uh, 6 a.m., that's like hour one, because the sun comes up. And then the third hour is about 9 o'clock. The sixth hour is about noon, right? Like you you just, things move along as time progresses and that kind of a thing. And Jesus has been on the cross since about sunup. And it says there in verse 45 that from the sixth hour uh, of darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. So from about noon to three, it's dark. And you can imagine. In that part of the world, and in, in the, the cultural milieu of uh, everything, the Roman soldiers that are there and their pantheon of theology and all of this kind of stuff. Something like a, a solar eclipse or just the rapid darkening of the sky or whatever it was that made this be this long darkness. There was just something eerie about it. There was something unsettling about it. There was something that was just off and wrong. And it has everybody in a state of tension. And at the midst of that, Jesus speaks. And remember we've said that when we read the Scriptures, there's no words that are wasted. And so if there's a descriptive word that's used in the Scripture, it's used for a purpose, for a reason. And in this, when Jesus cries out at the ninth hour, it says that He cried out with a... Loud voice. Now, as we've talked about the crucifixion, why might that be significant? That Jesus cries out with a loud voice. He was really weak and he we had to like, muster up the strength. Yeah. The the actual cause of death of crucifixion was suffocation. You hang upon this cross and fluid begins to fill your lungs and every breath that you take, you're pulling your body weight against these nails to suck in air. So to cry out in a loud voice takes tremendous amount of effort. And in the midst of the tremendous amount of effort that Jesus is going to use to make this statement, is it should we assume that what He is saying is significant, or insignificant? Probably significant, right? If he's going to, I'm going to take all this pain to suck in as much air as I can, so that I can, in a loud voice, so that lots of people can hear me, I'm going to make a statement. We should assume that this is a significant thing. And what Jesus does is he cries out in his uh, native tongue, his everyday lingo of Aramaic, "Eli." Eli lama sabachthani which means and this is what the uh, uh, what Matthew records for us here is that he and he just literally translates it. He says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And then we have the misunderstanding because those that are around him, they hear what he's saying and they uh, Uh, one of them runs up and says, oh, he must be thirsty, so he gives him some sour wine. We talked about that a little bit last week in another place in John's Gospel where he says, I thirst, and they gave him sour wine. But others, when they said it, they say, uh, this man is calling for Elijah. Now, how in the world did they get the idea that he was calling for Elijah from my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, it's because the, the, the word that he uses there, Eli, Eli, in Aramaic, sounds very similar to how in Aramaic you would say Elijah, Elijah, Eli, Eli. And so this idea that this Old Testament prophet was going to come and redeem and fix and do a miracle as we see in the Old Testament, and so they, they misunderstand it and they just say, alright, let's see what happens. Let's see how this translates out. They're missing the picture of even the words that Jesus say and it's you know as we're sitting here watching this play out we're just like this is so weird. He's he's saying one thing, they're hearing something different. Their reaction is not what his experience is. He's saying what I'm saying is important and they're going, "Let's see if some Old Testament prophet comes and fixes this." But what Jesus is actually saying is verse 1 of Psalm 22. "My God, my God, why Have you forsaken me? The misunderstanding of those at the cross is the whole kind of point of the crucifixion in this moment. Everyone that's standing there is misunderstanding what is happening before their very eyes. They don't see God in the flesh dying on the cross to pay the penalty for man's rebellion against God. They miss all of that. They're not seeing any of that. They're missing the irony of the fact that upon Jesus' cross they nail a plate that says, this is one who claims to be king of the Jews, when in fact, he was king of the Jews. They're they're missing the point, they're missing the understanding of it. And so those that are around the cross misunderstand Jesus and misunderstand what's going on. But since that time forward, as Christianity has progressed through the years and people have read this passage of Scripture, growing up, as I heard this passage of Scripture taught and as I spent time in in evangelical and Protestant churches and even Catholic churches, as they looked at this passage of Scripture, Christians have misunderstood what Jesus is saying at this. This This is a classic Easter text, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so, as I've heard this passage taught, and as uh, evangelicals and Protestant Christians have looked at this passage of Scripture, they've tried to understand the cosmic nature about what was going on in this sacred moment. That somehow, they've described, if, if Jesus is saying, God, you have forsaken me, then somehow, in some mystic way, in some supernatural way, the Son has been split apart from the Father. They're no longer connected. That somehow, in the midst of this, Jesus, as He's become sin for mankind, and God, in His perfect righteousness, there's been this ripping apart, and I've heard it described that in this moment, God turns His face away from Jesus, and these kind of things. You ever heard any of that kind of description that's going on? on in here. And again, friends, what I want you to understand is that there is a misunderstanding about what is happening in this moment, even for us, as we look back on this and we read this one passage and we just try to make some assumptions about what is being said just in these kind of words. It's a fascinating thing when we think about God, that we always take God and we try to put God into our cultural context and into ways that we think we can understand, In fact, honestly, for a lot of people, if you uh, were to ask them, describe for me God, God looks a lot like them. Their worldview, their custom, their culture, their expectations, and those kind of things. And we have this tendency to misunderstand God. And And it's in subtle and big ways. Like one of those ways, we talk about God is love. And we, when we talk about God being love, we talk about God in terms of love that we can understand. A level of love that we've experienced, or a level of love that we have given to people. And so we talk about God being merciful and patient and compassionate, and loving and caring and all those kind of things, because those are experiences that we've had. But friends, what we need to understand, in the nature of God being loving, God is infinitely loving you've never understood that and experienced that. Because you can't. There's nothing about you and me that is infinite in the nature of that. And so when God talks about God being loving, it goes into infinity of profoundness and depth and clarity and passion and power. But also when we talk about God being just... We talk about God being just in terms that we can understand. We talk about a judge that is a good judge that looks at a case and honestly deals with it and and gives the correct verdict for what's going on and those kind of things, and we understand that in that kind of term. But God is infinitely just. And so as we think of God in this moment, in this experience of Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is this interesting thing that is happening that God is one, right? This is Trinitarian theology. We have one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, distinct in personhood, one in substance and reality. There's, we're not polytheists. We believe in one God. And it is a mystery. I'm not going to claim that I can even simplify it in a way that is uh, helpful. Just we believe in a triune God. But what I do not think that is happening here is that the Trinity ceases to be the Trinity; it becomes a tuity? What would you call? It? What would you call? It? What would you call it? Just the his Father and the yeah, yeah. What you know, whatever that, that somehow there's Jesus gets kicked out, and three days later he gets brought back in, or some kind of thing in this. There is this perfect picture of God's infinite justice and His infinite love and His infinite redemption of quality that comes all into this one moment. And we see it in the death of Jesus. And there's a lot of theological clarity that gets lost as we think about this. And people argue different points. But I just want us to listen to the words of Jesus Himself to see if Jesus means to give us any clarity about what is happening in this story. Because I think not only was there misunderstanding actually at the event of those that were around the cross and us looking back on that event, having a misunderstanding of what is taking place, but I think for the Jews reading the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For a thousand years before Jesus, there was misunderstanding about what was taking place in Psalm 22. So look in your Bible to Psalm 22 and let's read the words that Jesus is pointing to. On that cross. Psalm twenty-two, starting in verse one. This is why I want you to have your Bible, because we're just going to read the whole thing. And I just want you to think. This is I said this the sermon series is a little bit different because I just want us to sit and listen to the words. Let the Holy Spirit speak. And the profoundness of what is being said here. So this is this psalm that is written, this is over a thousand years before Jesus. Before the cross, before the crucifixion. This is a thousand years before that. And in that moment of crucifixion, as Jesus takes the pain of those nails to pull Himself up and cry out in a loud voice, it's like He's beginning the first line of a song so that we can hear and be reminded of some reality. My God, my God... Why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned above the praise of Israel... In our fathers, in you, our fathers trusted. They trusted you, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with their lips. They wag their heads, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him, because He delights in Him. Yet You are He who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon You I cast. I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, For trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me. As a ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shard shard, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws and you lay me in the dust. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers encompass me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones and they look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, be not far off. O oh, you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword. My, you, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. I will tell of your name in my, to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him. All you descendants of Israel, for He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has He hidden His face from Him. But when He cried to Him for help, He heard... And from You comes My praise in the great assembly. I shall pay My vows before those who fear Him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before You. For the kingdom is the Lord's and He rules over the nations." All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before Him. Even He who cannot keep His soul alive. Prosperity will serve Him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare His righteousness to a people who will be born that He will. Has performed it. The Jewish reader read that psalm for a thousand years, and they read it as a psalm of anguish for the innocent. Those that would cry out, God, I am innocent. Why is these bad things happen to me? I do not deserve this. What is happening to me is unjust. Vindicate me, O Lord. And yet the truth of the Scripture, and it's one of the reasons why I love the Psalms, is that it doesn't shy away from the reality of the human experience. Every one of us has cried out in a prayer moment, God, where are You? Where are You? I'm dying here. I can't stand up under this. This is awful. And the Scriptures don't shy away from that. And yet the Jewish reader read that as though it was only about them. They read those passages as though it was only about those that had, been, that had suffered unjustly and were waiting for the vindication of God of the people of Israel. As we read through that. And yet Jesus upon the cross... Sucks in breath and cries out in a loud voice as though to invite people into the song. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalm is about the vindication of the innocent man. The cross proves true of one who was perfectly innocent. Perfectly innocent in a way that none of us can fully comprehend. Because it's not any of our experience. And the cross of Christ begins to show us the vindication of God that in Jesus, the truth of life given to people through Him is proved in His death, burial, and resurrection. When people think about the question of how do I know this Christianity is real? How do I know that I can trust what the Scripture says to me today? A lot of people jump to things like, well, you know, the the question of evolution versus creation and old earth and young earth. And they want to jump to Genesis 1. They want to wrestle out those kind of things. And there's great debate about that. There's great arguments about that. There's all those kind of things. But any of those kind of questions should not be the fundamental starting point for any single one of us as Christians. If you're a Christian today and somebody asks you, why are you a Christian? We have one answer. is that Jesus rose again. Jesus rose again. He died and He rose again. It showed His vindication that death, the ultimate reality for every one of us walking on this planet, had no hold over Him. Where they say that there's two two certainties in life, death and taxes. Well, I know a lot of people that get out of taxes, right? But I ain't met anybody yet that gets out of death, except one. He vindicate he was vindicated in this and this as he cries out, he's saying, "Do you want to see what the vindication of the innocent is? You're fixing to see it." The reality of what is going to go onto that. The second aspect of it that is a misunderstanding is that he's, uh, in this it says that the, the guilt of those that were around him that who should have known better. The psalmist writes in that story, as anyone who is uh, who is in the place of suffering, we, we're, we're suffering, we're hurting, we're looking at that. I'm not diminishing the fact that Psalm 22 can be read for us in our suffering and heartache. But when we're in those places, we look around and we go, there's people that could help. Why aren't they helping? There's people who could do something. Why why aren't they doing something? And the psalmist writes that as Jesus says, there's these that have power and yet what have they done? They've pierced my hands and my feet. My heart is melted like wax. They divide up my garments before me. The guilt of those who should have known better is so evident. They should have known better. There was a Roman soldier there that wanted to be executed in that way. And Jesus was on that cross at the express word of those who had PhDs in trying to understand Psalm 22. They should have known better. And they did nothing. The psalmist, as he writes this, and this is one of those things where I think we we miss the the profoundness of of what he's saying because he says uh, in verse twenty four of Psalm twenty two, he says, "For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face." from Him. God did not turn away from Jesus. Because when God poured out all of His wrath upon Jesus, He saw in Him the complete satisfaction of my rebellion. Just think about this. Our, God is perfect. Our sinfulness is Uh, is evil into an infinite reality, into a reality that we, we can't comprehend because of God's goodness. And so, it demands eternal, old word, damnation, eternal separation, eternal punishment because of His infinite goodness. And in the person and work of Jesus, He infinitely carries that into eternity. Jesus bears eternal punishment Satisfied into eternity. And God sees it. He sees it in the face of Jesus. When we stand before God on on that day where we give an account of all of our life, He does not look at us and see some satisfaction for our rebellion. He sees Jesus, He sees the face of Jesus. He sees His satisfaction. He sees all of that. And the ultimate result of that is that you're sitting here today and that's in the text. He says in verse 28, For the kingdom is the Lord's and He rules over Israel, the chosen people, the sons of Abraham. No. For the kingdom is the Lord's and He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All who go down to the dust will bow before Him, even those who cannot keep His soul alive. And then He says, Prosperity will serve Him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generations. And they will come and declare His righteousness. Guys, that's you. That's you. When Jesus drew in that breath and cried out in a loud voice, My God! My God! Why have You forsaken Me? Jesus had in mind the nations and He had in mind you. The suffering of the innocent and the vindication of the innocent was looking forward To you. And those that were at the cross that day, they missed it. They thought he was talking about Elijah. And here's the thing, friends. If you're not paying attention, if you're not listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying right now, you'll miss it too. The gospel, the cross, it's for you. It's not just a historical event. It's not just a religious thing. It's not just something that we appropriate in cultural ways as American Christians. It's the story of you and me. Jesus sucked in breath to say out loud the reality of his vindication as the innocent dying on behalf of the nations. And unless we're willing to pay attention, we'll misunderstand God. We'll misunderstand that hope. Dear Christian, I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, don't ever outgrow the wonder of the fact that Jesus had you on His mind on that cross. That He loved you specifically. That he knew every one of your rebellious acts. He knew every one of your secret sins. He knew every one of my uh, uh, heinous thoughts or actions. Everything that was in me that separated me from God, Jesus knew all of it. And we go back to that moment in the garden where he's sitting there and he's praying and he prays those, he's in a tremendous agony where he's literally sweating blood out of his pores. And he takes that statement and he says, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And again, it's an Old Testament reference of him drinking the cup of the wrath of God. Jesus knew. And if you don't feel worthy this morning, if you don't feel lovely this morning, remember this Jesus knew all of it about you. All of it. He knew you in an infinite way that if any other human being knew you in this way, they, they would just be like, I can't, I can't. And he said, All of it. I'll pay all of it. My, vindic- my vindication for them. And what will they declare? Verse 31 of Psalm 22, the very last statement of this concluding thing. It is talking about them. It says, us. They will come and they will declare His righteousness. We won't declare our own righteousness. We won't declare our own vindication. We'll declare His. He has proven Himself true. And to a people who are yet born, He says, they will perform the reality of His righteousness in the world. So my prayer for you this week, as we just wrap up, is that I I want you to just imagine sitting at the foot of the cross and hearing Jesus struggle to pull in the breath, to say out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if this week you feel tempted to feel forsaken by God, don't look to yourself. Look to Jesus. He's done for you and for me what we could not do. And it's a good gift. Don't misunderstand God this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we pray that You would help us in this. This is a struggle for us. We want to try to vindicate or justify ourselves. Help us to look to You. Jesus, it's going to take all the rest of eternity for me to fully comprehend the reality of what it is that You accomplished for me on the cross. And Lord, I don't want to explain it away. I just want to sit there and ponder what Your infinite love, infinite justice, Infinite mercy really does mean for me. And I pray that for those that are here this morning, that you'd strengthen us in our faith in you because of it. We love you so much. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galena